we look at the passage this morning, which is Matthew 28, by the way, Matthew chapter 28, and looking at verse 1. If you have God's Word, it would be great for you to go ahead and turn there or look it up there on your phone, Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to be reading the Easter story together this morning and really kind of carrying out a question that we started to ask a few weeks ago, which is what difference does Easter make? I mean, in the context of, of life, I mean, this world that we're living in right now, I mean, we have, a, we have a pretty good. We're blessed and we have a roof over our head. And so in, in this context, in this life and world that we live in this time, we ask the question, I mean, really, what difference does Easter make? And part of the answer to the question is that it gives us a a spiritual vision of the kingdom of God. And hopefully over the last couple Sundays, you know, that vision is becoming a little bit clearer. And even on Friday night, we we began to imagine ourselves what it was like to be there that that Friday. And when Jesus Christ, you know, went to the cross. And so I imagine that there are all kinds of pictures, all kinds of images that we've had brought to our mind as we have traveled through the season of Lent and as we've been reading Scripture and asking the question again, what what difference does Easter make? So we come to the Easter story. Let's, let's go to Matthew chapter 28, looking at verses 1 through 6. After the Sabbath, at the dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen, just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word this morning. I pray that your anointing would be upon it and you'll be glorified by this reading. Thank you, Father, for resurrection power this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. I want to begin this morning by talking about or sharing with you the most interesting service that I, I've ever experienced as a pastor. And it had to be a service we had on a Sunday night back in Bradenton, uh, Bradenton, Florida, where we just moved from. And, and in fact, Bradenton is kind of tied to another community called Sarasota. And as we were living there, we learned that this place was kind of a mecca for circus people. And in fact, those that started in bird circuses, I mean, we're talking 150 years ago, they found themselves in this area. And in fact, there, there's a chain of key islands there. And one of, one of the islands, I think it's Siesta Key, one of the islands was, was built by one of these, these circus founders. And they hauled in sand and he had this grandiose idea that he was going to build this wonderful town, city on this island and so forth and so on. So the exciting thing was, is there were all kinds of things, museums and such that we could go to. And we'd learn about circus people. Well, one of the benefits was, as a church, we had a family that lived there in that area by the name of the Walindas. How many remember Nick Walinda? He just a couple of years ago literally walked across Niagara Falls on a tightrope or 
on a cable. How many remember seeing that in the national news? And so Nick, Willinda, and his family uh, helped us in our church there in Bradenton. In fact, we had some kind of high-flying type of wire stuff going on, flying angels and all that stuff. And, and I got to know Nick, Willinda's uncle, and he said, well, you know, I have this thing where I preach a sermon when I walk across the wire, walk across the high bar. And I said, I wanted to have you do that. And so on that Sunday night, we had a... We had one of the Willindas, Mr. Willinda, come and he set up the scaffolding. In fact, he started during the week and he set up the scaffolding, you know, kind of over here, some over here and some over here. And in between was this this high bar about this big around, about this big around. There's this high bar and it would be upon that high bar that he'd preach his message. And he did that on that Sunday night. I mean, it was exciting. And so he'd call up the scaffolding there and he began to preach a sermon. And he walked out there on the high bar like he was walking on this platform. I mean, he was perfect balanced and he's walking on this high barn kind of turning like this and he's doing his thing and then what he does is he crawls back down the scaffolding he picks up a wooden chair like a kitchen chair and he walks back up or climbs back up the scaffolding walks over to the middle of the high bar i mean standing there like he was standing just on solid ground but it's just a bar this big around and he's preaching this message and he's got this chair and then he he sets the chair on the high bar. Now, the high bar is just touching in two little tiny spaces or places on the bottom of the rungs of the chair. So that the feet of the chair, the four feet of the chair, are hanging over the sides of the bar. You got it? So the feet of the chair are hanging over the sides of the bar. And so now that chair is balanced and he sits down in that chair, imagine, and crosses his legs and continues to pre- I can't even stand up and cross my legs. And he, and he crosses his legs and continues to preach the sermon. And then as the sermon kind of begins to move forward and grows and climaxes, he then stands up on the high bar. And if you imagine, he puts his feet... On the place of the chair where you sit, he puts his feet on the seat of the chair and then he sets up on the back of the chair and crosses his legs and preaches the sermon. I cannot imagine it. We had a lot of fun at the end of the message. And by the way, it was a powerful message about Jesus. And by the end of the message, uh, we had an altar call and some people chose to follow Jesus that night and they invited Jesus to become a part of their life. I mean, it was a powerful message there up on the high bar. And afterwards, it's kind of fun because uh, at the end of the service, he had set up a low bar about 12 inches off the platform for me. And so he had the preacher come up and I took off my shoes and he had me try to walk on this low bar about 12 inches off the platform. And I made it about two steps and I tumbled off like a drunken ox. I couldn't believe it. So I followed the high. Well, people, you know, they filmed it. They put it on their phones. They put it on Facebook. Ha, ha, ha. They thought it was all kind of funny because I was falling off the high bar. Well, anyhow, it was just a fun experience. One of my most interesting services that we ever had. But I got to thinking that sometimes I think... Sometimes, seriously, on a serious note, that sometimes we elevate holiness like that. We imagine that our spiritual life is like walking on this high bar and we've got to, you know, we've got to reach up to this standard and we've got to walk just so. And we say, I mean, after all, Jesus, he died on the cross. I mean, Jesus really set a high standard. And so we have this standard that is almost a supernatural standard. And the, the enemy loves this. I mean, Satan loves for us to set that kind of standard because he's waiting for us to fall and land on our head. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ, 
did not come and die on the cross and was buried in the grave and was resurrected from the dead so that we would be able to live to some supernatural spiritual standard. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross so that we might have a relationship with our Father in heaven. He died on the cross that we might have relationship with the Father who the Bible says is a just God. And as a just God, he demands that we meet the requirement of righteousness. And you say, well, pastor, how can we do that? I mean, if there is this high bar, I mean, Jesus really set it high. And, 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 and we have this temptation of walking on the high bar of life. I mean, how do we process that? Well, we know that Jesus is a ju- or God is a just God and he demands justice for our disobedience. And we understand that from the beginning of time. We know that man fell into sin and because of sin, there is disobedience and we're separated from God. Well, what Easter teaches us is that we have a God that became flesh and dwelt among us. We have a God that literally was born as a baby in the name of Jesus and who was raised up from that baby and became a man. And we have a Jesus who became the Messiah that Jeff spoke about on Friday night that God promised us 700 years before the Messiah ever arrived. That we have a Messiah that came to this world and this earth and he went to the cross because he is trying to say one thing. I mean, that's what Easter is about. Easter is about God trying to communicate one thing. And here's what Easter is trying to say. This is what God is saying in Easter. He is saying this. He is saying, I love you. God wants you to know That he loves you. God wants Paul to know that he loves you. God wants Lee to know that he loves you. I mean, whoever you are, Mary or or Jane or whoever you are, God loves you this morning. Amen. And that's what Easter does. It just kind of elevates our understanding or elevates the, the spiritual vision that we've been talking about, about what the kingdom of God is all about. And and by the way, that kind of spiritual vision Elevates our personal spiritual character. And when our our vision of the kingdom is really fully understood, then our spiritual personal character is elevated in such a way that we have a greater understanding of who Jesus Christ is. In fact, one man wrote, spiritual truth elevates the soul. Listen to this. Spiritual truth elevates the soul and refreshes the mind. In Revelation chapter 4, looking at verse 1, we read, here's God. He says, come up here. Come up here and I will show you what must happen. And so there's the strategy of elevation that we find in God, the strategy that he he elevates us. And in fact, the longer that we walk with God and the better that we know God, the more that we understand God says sometimes, come on up here. God says that sometimes, come on up here, come, come up here to this higher standard, come up and live this way, not the way that you've been living, but live on up here in this higher plane and this higher standard And so that you're stretched spiritually. I mean, if you're really walking with God, you're going to hear the voice of God, I believe, that is going to say, you know, come on up here and he will elevate you in your spiritual character. But at the same time, I understand that the enemy, Satan, also uses this strategy of elevation because the enemy gets you to elevate yourself. The enemy gets you to elevate thoughts about yourself where, you know, your ego kicks in. You think, hey, I'm somebody. Look what I've accomplished or look what I've achieved. And so we think about ourselves or we think about our intellect. And in all those things, we begin to, you know, think maybe higher of ourselves. You see, the enemy uses 
the strategy of elevation to elevate your own thinking about yourself because he wants to get you on that high bar of life. And if he can get you on the high bar of life, he knows there is a very likeliness that you will tumble and you will fall. And so the enemy understands that and he will use that, that strategy readily within your life to, to elevate yourself rather than focus upon God and realize that part of the challenge of life, of learning how to walk that high bar of life, is, is that God wants you to know that he's elevating you not to yourself, but he's elevating you to his grace. He's elevating you to his love. He elevates you in the forgiveness that he gives to us because the forgiveness that we need because of our sin. Amen. And, and then in that elevation, he, he saves us and he redeems us. Because of what Jesus Christ has, has done for us upon the cross. So what am I saying? I'm saying that when mankind fell into sin, if you think about it, I mean, if, if God is elevating us to his love and his grace, then think to the very beginning. And, and as mankind fell into sin, that we know that God has promised and he has strategized a way for us to experience his love through his son, Jesus Christ. Why has God done that? I mean, why is Easter a part of the whole plan of God? Because he loves us. Because he loves me. Because he loves you. I think about the very end of times when time is no more and we get to spend our time in the presence of the Savior worshiping him. And and the very end of time when life is done and we're in heaven and we're in his holy presence. Why has God planned that? Because he loves us. He loves us. He wants to have relationship with us. He wants to have relationship with his creation. So as we understand the spiritual vision, it elevates our understanding but then also it elevates our heart. When we allow God to elevate us deep within our heart, we find a, a plateau of freedom. This, this brings an easier way of living. You see, rather than the high bar of life that's so precarious and where the enemy would want us to live, you see, what happens when we're elevated in Christ and we understand his grace and we understand that God loves us, we find the plateau of freedom And what an image, a plateau of freedom that is stable and solid. It's a a plateau where we're walking with God and his grace and the love of God that protects us and and keeps us balanced. This this is the freedom of, of Jesus Christ that we talk about on Easter. And so our heart is elevated because of that freedom. So I asked the question this morning, and and questions have power, by the way. I asked the question, how do you measure Your growth in grace. I mean, I'm just thinking this through right now. How do you measure your growth in grace? How do you see your spiritual self becoming mature? Do we measure this by whether or not we we turn back or whether we turn away from God? I mean, this is this how we measure our our spiritual maturity in Christ? Well, the answer is we can know God or we can know that God is building our spiritual character by whether or not we are hearing God's voice. Do you follow me for a moment? You see, whether we are hearing his voice and if we're not hearing the voice of God, then maybe maybe something's a little off. Maybe the relationship is not what we think it is if we're not hearing the voice of God. See, part of hearing the voice of God, I mean, part of the measure of our spiritual character. And remember, we're elevating character. Part of the measure of our spiritual character is whether or not that we can hear the voice of God and we're listening to God. And maybe God is saying a, a little higher Maybe God is saying, come on up here. Maybe God is saying, do not include that in your life anymore. Maybe God is saying, not that way, but this way. 
Maybe God is saying, you know, start this new ministry. Or maybe God is saying, paint a picture in the worship service. Maybe God is saying, I mean, you see, part of it is being able to hear the voice of God and to listen. I was blown away by the story that Pastor Jeff shared with me. And I keep referring to him. He's just impressing me all over the place. But Pastor Jeff was sharing with me a story about a guy that... um, Felt motivated, I guess led by the Lord, to adopt a terminally ill child. And uh, he adopted this terminally ill child, and not knowing how long the child was going to live. And so the child lived three or four years. And he, he poured his life into this child and his love into this child. And then the child died. And I'm imagining trying to process that. And then he heard, I guess, the Lord say to him, I want you to do that again. And he adopts another child that was terminally ill. And he loves this child and he pours his life into this child. True story. And he loves this child until they die. And then the Lord says, do it again. And I don't know how many times, many times that he does this over and over, that he pours this, you know, I cannot imagine a human being, I can't imagine me doing this, I, I cannot imagine a human being subjecting themselves to this kind of anguish and this kind of heartache and this depth of love unless the voice of God was speaking. Unless the voice of God was speaking. Listening. I mean, hearing, really hearing the voice of God, the spiritual character of hearing the voice of God. I, I was talking with the staff and in staff meeting, we were talking about hearing, listening to God. And, and I, I said, well, you know, have you ever put out a fleece? And I, I talked about the idea of putting a fleece out. And it is biblical. I've, I, I do not do it very much, but I was sharing with them how I did one time. We were pastoring in Idaho, and we'd received a phone call to come and interview in Tennessee. And so we went to the interview and flew to Tennessee. And I was having some, I was having some angst about it because we were in a church that was really growing. It was doing well, and it grew from a small church to a mid-sized, healthy church, and everything had increased. And this church was a small church, about a third of the size, about a third of the salary, and I really was struggling with taking a step back. And so I, kind of, I guess I kind of was wishing God wasn't calling us, but I put out a fleece and said, okay, God, if you want me to go, and I had three fleeces in the process, but my first fleece was, okay, God, if you want me to go, have my wife say it first, that she thinks that we should come to this church. Well, we went to the interview, there in the hotel that night, my wife says, Tony, I think we should come to this church. Oh, man. Okay, I said, well, maybe God didn't hear me right, so I put out another fleece. I can't remember what the second one was, uh, but God answered that fleece. And I thought, well, maybe he's not hearing me really just right. So I said, God, I, I need you to really give me a sign. I didn't put any, you know, parameters on it or details. Some kind of just no question. There's no doubt. I need a sign that we're supposed to move from Idaho to Tennessee. Well, we get on the plane. Our interview is over with and we get on the plane. Our plane was delayed and so they bumped us. And because of that, we got first class and we were flying on Delta. Well, anyhow, this was before 9-11, before security was tight. And we get on the plane. We're walking through the door and there to the left is the cockpit. And, and the, the captain, a female captain, was looking at me. I said, hi. And I said a few more things. And she said, come on in here and sit down. 
And so I go into the cockpit and I sit down there in the co-pilot seat and we begin to talk about flying because I love to fly small planes. And so we're talking about the avionics and the, you know, the technology and all this stuff. And we had a grand old time. I never did share with her that I was a pastor. She didn't know what I was going through. Remember, I'd asked for a sign. So anyhow, I finish my conversation. I go back to my seat and we're enjoying our flight. It's about a four hour flight and about two hours into the flight, maybe an hour and a half in the flight. I get a handwritten note from the captain of the ship. I couldn't believe it. It was awesome. So I get a handwritten note from the captain and she had written me this note, not knowing who I was, not knowing I was a pastor, not knowing what I was struggling with, that my ego was dealing with taking this big step back. And here's what she wrote after a few lines. She finally said this. This was her point. She says, sometimes we have to take one step back to take two steps forward. And it was like a manhole lid being slammed down on the pavement. I mean, boom, this was God's will. And God blessed year after year after year. It was God's will. He affirmed it. And, and there's nothing special about me that God spoke, but he did speak that day. And what I'm saying is I'm humbled when God speaks. Measuring spiritual character. Listening. Listening and hearing the voice of God when he speaks. And when you hear the voice of God and God is speaking, there's nothing that moves us and nothing that touches us and nothing that that blesses us like when we hear the voice of God. Amen. And I'm saying it. I don't know if I can say it louder that, that Easter is trying to speak. Easter is trying to say something to us and trying to communicate something to us. And and part of it is we understand the the Easter thing, then it elevates us, but it elevates our heart. And then finally, it elevates our lives. It elevates our life. This is part of the spiritual vision that Easter gives us and what Easter is speaking and and what Easter is saying. It's not saying buy more eggs. (laughs) Easter is not saying have a bigger program. Easter is not saying it's all about family. Now, family's great and God has ordained the family and I love family. But Easter is not saying it's all about family. Easter is saying one thing. Here's what Easter is saying. It is saying that God loves you. God loves you. He loves you. Lent has been about a God who reaches out to us in our need, a God who sent his son to show us how much he loves us and wants to forgive us and wants to be a part of our life. Easter is saying that we have a creator that created us and he breathed life into us and he wants to walk with you and he wants to know you and he wants to be he wants to be your Messiah. I imagine the words. I mean, I imagine the cries that day when Jesus was on the road To Calvary when the people were screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. I I imagine through the eyes of Jesus that he could hear the crowd screaming that. He could hear the hatred in their voices. The people that were chosen, the people that had followed him, had now turned from just a week later. And now they were wanting to crucify him and going along with all that was happening. And I imagine Jesus bleeding and weakened and all of that. That Jesus Christ, he, he was still focused on the cross. Still, he continued to walk. 
In spite of that, I imagine that he could see the crowd as he came from the praetorium and they'd taken a rod and literally beaten the crown of thorns upon his head and the blood was draining down his face and yet Jesus Christ, he still walked. I imagine Jesus as he was walking up the road and the burden of the cross is upon his shoulders. And I imagine that as he looked up and saw the distorted faces of anger and hate, in the midst of all that, he's looking for a familiar face. I can imagine Jesus in his humanness that he was still lonely and and maybe even despair just a little bit, but still he walked. I imagine Jesus Christ as he walked and he approached the hill and the burden was upon his shoulders and the burden of your sin and my sin that he then was thrown to the ground, but still he walked. I imagine Jesus as he was being nailed to the cross and he heard the hammering of the hammer as the hammer hit the, the stakes and the spikes and and, and it went ping, ping, ping. And I imagine that as the hammer hit the spike that went through his feet, it went ping, 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 and still he walked. I imagine Jesus Christ as he is raised up in pain and anguish, and that cross shone, dropped into the hole. And I imagine at that moment, well, he still walked. I imagine that Jesus as he hung upon the cross, and the anguish that was upon him, and the agony that he was facing that the voice of the Father leaned down and said, I'm with you. And Jesus said, I forgive you. And he wasn't saying, I forgive you, Father, in heaven. He's saying, I forgive you. I forgive you and I forgive you. He was saying that I forgive mankind because we are separate from God without Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ upon the cross, you see, unites us with our Father. And we recognize that Jesus going to the cross and dying, it wasn't just a model. And I think we digress sometimes in focusing on that. He was not just a model. Jesus Christ's death was payment. It was payment for our sin. And Jesus Christ paid for that sin for you and I that we might have everlasting life. And I imagine as he was hanging there, as he continued to walk, that his heart became full. His heart was full of not only just the pain and anguish, but his heart was full of unconditional love. His heart was full of love and concern for you. And I imagine Jesus, as he hanged there, his heart was so full that it was overflowing into the very last moment. When he said, Lord, God, unto you, I relinquish my spirit. And then the earthquake and the temple curtain torn. All heaven mourns because the Savior was killed. And then Easter morning, (laughs) Easter morning, we come here to celebrate all that Jesus did for us on the cross. He died so that you might have relationship with your Father in heaven. I want to invite you to know God. I want to invite you to know Jesus. I want to invite you to say, Jesus, I want to walk with you. I want you to be in my life. Let's bow our head and close our eyes for just a moment. Let's bow our heads, everybody together. Jesus, I love you so much today. I thank you, Father, for the message of the cross. I thank you, Lord, that you're in the midst of what's happening right now. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just speak to that heart, maybe that lonely soul, I pray for that one right now that has been wrestling with something that is absolutely overwhelming. And they're in the darkest valley that they've ever been in in their life. I pray for the one that is just rejoicing right now. And I pray that, Lord, that you'd respond to their prayer. 
But I pray for that one specifically today that is saying, Jesus, I want to walk with you. Jesus, I want you to be a part of my life. So today, I'm saying that right now in my mind. I'm saying, Jesus, I want you to be a part of my life. Her heads are bowed, her eyes are closed. Nobody looking around, just between you and Jesus. Pray that way right now. Jesus, I love you. Repeat that after me in your mind's eye. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I want you to be in my life. Jesus, I'm going to serve you. Jesus, I choose you. Jesus, I need you right now, Jesus. Pray that this morning. Jesus, I want to walk with you. I want you to be in my life. Jesus, forgive me of my wrongdoing. Make me clean. I love you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Our heads are bowed and eyes closed. If you prayed that, you're praying that. And you're saying, Jesus, I want to walk with you. I want you to walk with me. I want to invite you just to make just eye contact with me for a moment. And I'm going to carry you in my private prayer time to the Lord. God bless you.